The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Kids, quit thinking of naming your firstborn Mozilla and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 245 with guest Christophe Villa, recorded live Thursday, May 10th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now... Bringing the ASP.NET Masterclass on-site to your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik, providing the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who has recently seen cruising the information superhighway in a digitized Prius, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. We're back from a week of tech ed, Richard. Richard Campbell, how are you? No rest for the wicked, man. <laughs> Did, you know, it's fair to say we kicked ass at tech ed. We had a lot of fun at tech ed. I mean, so many things happened. Mr. RD of the Year. That's true. I, I was awarded Regional Director of the Year by by uh, by who? It wasn't the RD. It was it's not a poll. No, it's not. It's by the RD program. Right. So the RD program said the folks at Microsoft said you're number one, which is interesting because most RDs spend a lot of time doing evangelism themselves, and I find myself and you as well to be evangelism enablers. Yes. We sort of we don't do the evangelizing, we enable it. But anyway, enough about us. Uh, we had a fun time there. We did some panel discussions, which will be coming up here in the weeks to come. On uh, some very interesting topics, such as uh, identity. Yes, and uh, visuals team system. Yeah, and another one that we did on ASP.NET scalability. Right. So those will be coming up pretty soon. Look for that. Um, Richard, we started this um, namespace of the week kind of thing, and we didn't really have a name for it, where uh, I pick a class in the .NET framework every week, and, and the First of all, the point is not to go in depth about this class. And I had a letter to that effect, which the guy was kind of uh, mad because he didn't learn anything new. Um, so my idea is not to uh, tell you everything there is to know in one minute, 18 seconds about a particular class. Right. This isn't training. This is for people who haven't yet discovered this uh, feature of the .NET framework. And just by osmosis now, you can sort of pick up a new thing once in a while. Right, a did you know about kind of idea. So you have a new name for this, Richard? Uh, I was playing with some names borrowed from other places, and I I, I called it better know a uh, better know a framework. That's what I was called. Better know a framework. I like yeah. that. <laughs> better know a framework. Well, here's your better know a framework for today, and that is you know the, the my namespace is very cool in Visual Studio 2005. It's actually in Visual Basic only. Right. Um, but it has some nice shortcuts into the .NET framework, and one of them is my.computer.network.ping. Um, and this is a, a way that people can pass a host name and then return a Boolean, of, among other things that you can pass it. But you can pass it a host name, 
like franklins.net or pop.com or whatever, and it'll return back a Boolean to tell you if it was successful. Now, um, well, if you don't have Visual Basic and if you're a C-sharp programmer, you can use the – or even if you are a VB programmer and you want some more control, you can use the system.net.networkinformation.ping class. Oh. Yeah, and this is a class that you can just new up. You can instantiate it. And then there's a send method and a whole bunch of different overloads, and that returns back a status, which is an enumeration. It's a, a networkinformation.ip status. And uh, you could just basically say, you know, console write line ping.send parentheses pop.com in quotes dot status dot two string. And that'll just tell you the, you know, the, the what happened. Was it successful? Was it a problem or whatever? So it's still just a Boolean, but it's just in a different form? Well, it isn't a Boolean. It actually returns a status. And that status has a whole bunch of options. I mean, Oh, it has, okay. So you knew more than just saying, yeah, I could touch it. So, for example, bad destination, bad header. Bad option, bad root, destination host, uh, unreachable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, you get a little bit more feedback than just a Boolean. And uh, the best news is that, you know, it's not just about VB. It's not just for VB anymore. So don't send me letters if you need, if you think that I didn't cover this in depth because I didn't, didn't want to. But if you're new to it, I hope you learned something. And go down, dig into the class further, and learn more. System.net.networkinformation.ping. All right, Richard, what you got? I have an email. I get to do one email these days, but this is a good one. It starts out, DNR Masters. Nice title, actually. Wow. I wanted to offer kudos on episode 241 with Nick Benton and Claudio Russo. Yeah. It's one of the best you've done recently. Wow. Firstly, the material was challenging, which was great and a nice change from the normally very pragmatic content. Secondly, it stretched you guys as interviewers. Yeah. You helped make two PhDs rambling about the difference between Lambda and Join Calculus interesting and, dare I say, pragmatic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Lambda and Join Calculus. That was an interesting day. I think our brains hurt at the end of that day. Yeah. Hearing about the possibilities for simplifying multi-threaded and asynchronous programming was terrific. When I got my Bachelor of Science six years ago, I never would have imagined how much those topics would be part of my job today. The hope of a future in which there is a way to write parallel algorithms that leaves more hair on my head is tantalizing. Yeah. Thanks for the great episode. I heartily encourage Richard to stay on his research kick. And that's from Life Wickland in Belgrade, Montana. I sure am glad we have the freedom to do some more different shows. We got some feedback about the Scott Stanfield show already, and uh, people are appreciating the sort of laid-backness of that show. That sort of, yeah, and, and I, I was happy when I came up with the title, the sort of aesthetics around software. It's very, Scott Stanfield is one of those aesthetic guys. Yeah. He's got a great weight of looking at things. Yeah, just to hear him talk and to talk with him was good enough, so. Absolutely. All right, well, we got some code camps and some announcements, so let's uh, hit the button on the code camp music. So, first up, the Raleigh Code Camp, June 23rd, and that's at shrinkster.com slash P-E-B. Yep, followed by Developer, Developer, Developer. This is a conference in Reading in the UK, June 30th. You can read about it at shrinkster.com slash P-80, P-80. Then, all the way down in the Southern Hemisphere, July 7th and 8th, the Code Camp South Australia in Adelaide at shrinkster.com slash PKH. And we know they don't have a lot of stuff up there about it yet, but uh, keep looking, they will. That's their info page. Right. So, the Central Coast Code Camp, which is in San Luis Obispo, California, September 22nd and 23rd in the Central Coast region. Shrinkster.com slash PWA. And finally, another September show. This one's September 24th to 28th. That's right, guys. A full week. It's called the .NET Summer Camp 2007, and it's in Leipzig, Germany. And apparently it'll cost you 10 euros, right? Yeah. It's a student track of another conference. So the local user group in Leipzig has put together this track for students. So if you're a student in that area, for 10 euros, you get a one-week conference. Wow. 
you awesome. want more information, it's at shrinkster.com slash PWB. And of course, Greg Brill at Infusion is still sucking up .NET developers as listeners to .NET Rocks. whole bunch of DNR fans are working for Greg down in New York City. And if you'd like to be one of them and work for a very interesting company, very creative, uh, in Manhattan and live rent-free for a year, that's right, you can check out this offer at shrinkster.com slash KH6. All right, Richard. Well, let's uh, stop all this foolishness and bring on our guest. Christoph Villa is an independent consultant in Austria. He wrote the world's first C-sharp book entitled Presenting C-sharp, which was handed out, believe it or not, at the PDC in June 2000. Wow. He is the PM of Sharp Develop, a free IDE for C-sharp, VBNet, and Boo projects on Microsoft's .NET platform. He's also an MVP for ASP.NET and an ASP Insider. Welcome, Christoph. Hi, thanks. Great to be on the show. Oh, glad to have you. So the first time I heard about Sharp Develop was on .NET Rocks, long before I was ever on .NET Rocks. It was like back in 2003 when Scott Hanselman mentioned it. Yeah, Sharp Develop, by the way, we shrinksterized. If you want to go check it out, it's shrinkster.com slash O-V-N, as in Nancy. So, yes, uh, Scott Hanselman being the the bringer of all things good in .NET land. <laughs> he's sort of our human <laughs> aggregator, is, you know. Uh, he he in, introduced me to it as well, way back then, obviously. And you remember in the early days of .NET... There was, we were just using Notepad, writing code by hand, and then firing it into the compiler. Right. Yeah, and, I remember that. And so, it doesn't, I mean, today, anybody jumping into .NET today with Studio on it, uh, with the .NET version of Studio on its third version now with 2005, yeah. it seems kind of strange to even consider the idea that you'd have an alternative development environment. And I think now also with the express SKUs that are out there for free, it's got to be hard to uh, to to you know to to make the case for it. Yeah, I think I better give some kind of history background where Sharp Develop actually started out. Okay. So at the PDC in June, Microsoft only handed out the Visual Studio alphas at that time to the attendees. Everyone could just download the SDK, and that's how the project started. Because Mike, the original inventor of Shop Develop, had no access to Visual Studio. And so he started to write his own editor where he could simply start the C-Sharp command line compiler. So it was mostly at the beginning Notepad with the ability to start uh, the C-Sharp compiler inside the program. That's how Sharp Develop actually started out. And I joined the project like two months after it was conceived by Mike. Because I wrote the book and I thought, okay, now let's see, can you build a real-world application on top of the .NET framework? Is there some kind of stumbling block to really build your applications? Is this for real or is this a new fad from Microsoft that's not going to work out for the real-world programmers out there? So that's how this project started out. So wait a minute. Of your homegrown IDE. So are you saying that Sharp Develop existed before Visual Studio existed? Because they uh, look well, very Visual similar. Visual Studio was available to everyone. Ah, okay. So it was still available to beta testers and things. Yes, it was. Basically, Visual Studio was available to the PDC attendees at this point in time. I see. In 2000 and to nobody else. Well, the authors uh, got a preview as well. But yeah, there was a very small group of people that, that had access to it. I remember. And it's not that Studio didn't exist. It was just the, the pre.net edition, uh, Studio 6. Well, no, no. And this was this was Visual Studio for .NET, right? It yeah, was. It was just it's Alpha. Two thousand and two edition. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was just Alpha. Yeah, but you're right. But you're talking about two thousand, and the first version that shipped was in two thousand two. Right. So, so this there is was alpha. definitely a gap there, and I, this sort of go back goes back to the whole idea when we were first playing with the CLR, we were using Notepad. Yeah. And that's how it started because Mike didn't want to really use Notepad anymore. One of the things that's striking about Sharp Develop, even when you just go to the page and you look at it, you're like, wow, that's Visual Studio. It sure does look like Studio. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a kind of scaled-down version if you really want to compare it to Visual Studio. Sure. It's much smaller. 
So, for example, uh, before we switched to MSI installers, it was a 4 megabyte setup package wow. for .NET 2.0. So it's way smaller than Visual Studio, and actually you could simply X-copy it to the box and it would work. So it's quite nice, uh, a really lightweight uh, IDE, and it's all based on .NET, written entirely, well, mostly in C-sharp. There are mm -hmm. certain parts, like the Boo language binding you were referring to, that's right. written in Boo. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, do we need to talk about Boo? Yeah, let's talk about Boo. <laughs> I've talked about it with Scott uh, Hanselman, but let's talk about it. Well, uh, I don't Boo? know much about Boo. It simply was added because one of the contributors wanted to uh, program with Boo. That's how it ended up in the IDE. <laughs> All right. Well, you'll have to Google it to find out more about it because I don't know anything about yeah, it either. Yeah, Wikipedia has a great listing on it. It's an open source uh, language. It's it's focused on static typing and object orientation. If you've programmed in C-sharp or any other of these style of languages, you won't find it that unfamiliar. Okay. So let's, uh, let's list the features of Sharp Develop, the features we like most from your webpage. Forms Designer for C-sharp, VBNet, and Boo, obviously. Code Completion. Okay. Yep. So that's the same kind of uh, IntelliSense-style code completion. Integrated end-unit support plus code coverage. And with end cover, and integrated debugger, uh, code analysis with FX cop, refactoring support, multi framework support. Interesting that you support mono also, as well as the compact framework. That's very interesting. Uh, XML editing, source and tree view with XPath search, a parser based code converter, C sharp to VB.net, boo, and more. Uh, compile C sharp, VB.net, and boo code in the IDE out of out of the box, uh, code auto insert, which, you know, I'm making a mental note to come back to some of these XML <laughs> documentation preview, a setup project supported with windows installer, subversion integration, and it's open source. And then here are some more features we like most. And here are some more. So those yep. are the big features. And these are the ones that you'd expect, I guess, user interface translated to many languages. You can write C sharp, ASP.NET, ADO.NET, XML, and HTML code, project or file-based development, project scout and file scout, a rich project options, syntax highlighting for C sharp, HTML, ASP, ASP.NET, VBScript, VBNet, and XML, intelligent braces, folding, Hmm. Uh, bookmark your code, code template support, component inspector, feature-rich find-and-replace dialogues, including incremental search, easily extensible with external tools and plugins, and rehost sharp develop with SDA and much more. What's fascinating to me in that list is that regex didn't even make it because that was the original thing that Scott was talking about right. back in 2003 was here's an IDE that's got regex already built in. Right. So how does it have it built in? I mean, we can use the regex in the code, but how do you use regex in the, in the IDE? For, for one, we have a regex search. So you mentioned the search and replace dialogues. Those are using regex. Wow. And we have a dialogue for actually testing regex and compiling DLLs from regex. That's a great idea. And that that has been in there, yeah, like since version one. Huh. Hello, Microsoft. That's a great feature. <laughs> Hello, computer. <laughs> uh, what the heck is folding? Uh, that's just uh, code collapsing features. Oh, oh, okay, code collapsing. I was immediately thought of like protein folding. I'm like, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, and while you're not compiling, yeah. Let's fold some proteins. Uh, okay, let's see. What else did I did I want to uh, talk about here? Uh, mono support. That's an interesting one. I mean, it's easily – it would be easy to do that in Visual Studio, I suppose, too, if you had, you know, the right way to talk to, to the mono compiler. I suppose it could be done that, in Visual Studio. Yeah, definitely. And that's what's coming in Visual Studio AUKUS, where you can target multiple frameworks. And uh, we added support in the two, uh, yeah, it was the 2x version branch, the ability to really target different framework versions. So you can 
target 1120 mono and the compact framework, and you also only get code completion for those specific frameworks. So we are loading the uh, assemblies depending on the framework you're targeting. So that's what's in there for multi-framework support inside Shop Develop. What I really like about this is you've really um, gone out of your way to include tools that, uh, you know, sort of have all that whole software development methodology stuff going on, like the, the end unit and subversion and FX cop and, uh, end cover and all these great little tools that you just nicely talk to. That's great. Uh, one reason why those tools are integrated with Shop Develop is that we are using those in our software development process. So we do use NUnit to write our unit tests for all the feature areas. We are using FXCOP for uh, code cleanup and kind of standards checking for our source code base. Uh, we're using the XML documentation preview to check our uh, code commands that are in there. So basically, we are using those tools to really build Sharp Develop, and that's why they are in there. It's We had features in past versions that were contributed, but the contributor no longer worked with us. And so uh, we decided to only have features in there that are actively used by our developers and actively maintained and improved. So how does the integration with Subversion work, for example? And by the way, maybe we should just give a heads up about what Subversion is, because there's maybe some listeners who don't know. Subversion is a version control system. It's rather popular, even in the commercial space already. It's free, open-source-based source control system, and uh, we are using it to manage all of our projects. So, for example, not only Sharp Develop, but also our uh, SIP library and the reporting solution we have. So those are all based uh, on Subversion source control system, and all our developers are using Sharp Develop, so we are providing the ability to do check-ins, check-outs, etc., inside the IDE. And we're using two different open source solutions to provide the functionality. That's for one, uh, you might know about the ANC uh, SVN integration for Visual Studio. Those guys wrote the library, a managed library, to really talk to Subversion. Um, ANC, what's ANC? ANC SVN is a solution for Visual Studio, which integrates in Visual Studio and provides all the source control functionality inside Visual Studio for interfacing with Subversion. I see. So that's just, yeah. it sounds like there's just a lot of great existing libraries that you simply made UI plug in for, right? Uh, yes, that's true. We strive to cooperate with existing projects and not uh, kind of like what's so really uh, done across the open source community. Mm. When you don't think uh, about the project's reuse, you build your own. And we try to not build our own solutions, but really reuse what's already in there and out there and kind of help those guys improve their product yeah. so that they kind of, uh, yeah, we, they, we are being used inside Shop Develop, and you can use uh, our tool outside of Shop Develop too. So that's kind of the approach we take. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. Right. That's definitely not our business. And I'm a big fan and, of Tortoise SVN, uh, with, which is basically an IDE-less uh, interface to, uh, to Subversion. It right. just embeds in the Windows uh uh, Explorer dialogues makes it very very easy. We just and, uh, showed that off with uh, with uh, on DNR TV with Scott Hanselman and Jay right. Flowers. Yeah, and we are actually using it for Shop Develop too. Nice. So we are using the libraries from Ank for uh, kind of history retrieval and information purposes, and all the check in check out is done via the dialogues of Tortoise. We are using the uh, two products from Subversion to provide all the functionality for Shop Develop. Because we didn't want to reinvent the check-in, check-out dialogues because Tortoise has great uh, dialogue support. It does spell checking, etc. And there is absolutely no business in rebuilding those dialogues for us. That makes no sense. Why would you recreate that? Yes, because it's already out there. There is something ironic about that statement because you've recreated the wheel to start with with this entire IDE, if you think about it. And you're supposed to laugh now, okay? That was just a wise-ass <laughs> comment, and I didn't mean anything by it. Um, the the intelligent braces, are they any less intelligent than what you get with Visual Studio or more intelligent? Uh, 
they are more intelligent than the earlier versions of Visual Studio. Because when you recall the earlier versions of Visual Studio, uh, you didn't get information, okay, you're on a closing brace, and where's the beginning brace? And we okay. always highlight the beginning and the end braces when you're next to one. Oh, that's, that's nice. Uh, I think Visual Studio edited it in the 05 version. Yeah. But we had it since the early days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boy, you guys aren't laughing at my jokes here. Sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, I've got a valid point. Of, they were first, you know? No, it's true. Sh- Sharp Develop 1.0 was out the door ahead of Studio 2002. Yeah, well, that's it's to be expected if you think about it. I mean, two guys can get a lot more done on a smaller project than than a big, huge project like Visual Studio that involves hundreds of people, I think. So in terms of features that are most commonly requested, what would you say the most frequently requested feature, whether or not you're going to do it? <laughs> uh, definitely okay. the number one is support for ASP.NET. That's definitely the number one request we get. And it won't ever happen. So stop writing. (laughs) So it's not an ASP.NET development tool. Yeah. Uh, The reason is the Windows Forms Designer is integrated in the framework. So the framework ships with the Windows Forms Designer. All you need to do is to write the host for this Windows Forms Designer. Well, Ah. only uh, it took us quite a long time to get it right. So it's not that easy, but the designer is already there. But for ASP.NET, there's only the designer infrastructure there, kind of the hosting interfaces, and nothing more. There's no designer. You had, you had to go away and like build your own designer from scratch, like hosting IE, doing all the design legwork, doing all the HTML uh, formatting, etc. And that's not really easy to do. It's no m- and that's why we said, no, we are not doing it. It's no wonder people throw themselves at Scott Guthrie and say, we're not worthy. I mean, that's a big job. You really have to if know. If you take a look at the Ocas designer, it took Microsoft quite a long time to write their new designer for Visual Studio Ocas. Yes. It's really a hard job to do a web designer with all the HTML formatting, dealing with the uh, Illegally formatted HTML documents, etc. That's yeah. a really hard job when you compare it to a Windows Forms Designer, where you simply can go ahead and tell the compiler, "Please check the source code." Right. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting challenge. There's, you know, a big difference between Windows Forms and AS and Web Forms, simply because Microsoft pretty much controls everything there is to do with Windows Forms. Right. And they certainly don't on the website. Yeah, and we are currently working on the Presentation Foundation Designer. So we decided to stick with the Windows side of things. And if somebody has too much time, we do welcome contributions in the area of web development. So if somebody really wants to have ASP.NET in Sharp Develop, come write it. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So what about .NET 3.0? Yeah. It's already in the repository to some degrees. So that means we do have a workflow foundation designer hosted. Not done yet, of course. We do have uh, C-Sharp 3.0 support in the parsers. So this means a link, etc. that's already in there to a certain degree. Currently, the presentation foundation designer is working for a couple of features. But the presentation foundation designer, you have to write on your own, and uh, that's Daniel's job, and uh, we hope to have it done by summer, so that we have the Presentation Foundation Designer in there. So that's kind of the things we're trying to support for uh, .NET 3.0. So are you ready for the big news? Telerik is taking the wraps off four new product updates. RAD controls for ASP.NET, RAD controls for WinForms, the first official version of the Telerik reporting tool, and a brand new suite codenamed Rad Controls Prometheus. And you guys think I don't sleep. Telerik's tools have always been great, but I think this time they've outdone themselves. Well, here are the details. Prometheus is built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET Ajax, and it'll become the successor of Rad Controls for ASP.NET. 
Just as ASP.NET Ajax will be the future of ASP.NET, RAD Control's Prometheus represents the future direction of all new Telerik development tools. This new suite of controls will also pave the way for seamless integration with Microsoft Silverlight, formerly WPFE. The WinForm suite aims for the stars with powerful new grid, chart, and tree view controls. For me, it seems like a major player on the WinForms market. Another intriguing addition to Telerik's portfolio this spring is Telerik Reporting. The product introduces a new level of development experience, which Telerik collectively calls easeability, a naturally intuitive mouse-only approach to generating Windows, Web, and PDF reports. And if that's not enough, go to www.telerik.com to check out what's new with Telerik's renowned RAD controls for ASP.NET. I, I have a basic question that's been gnawing at the back of my brain here for ever since we started, and I alluded to it before, but what uh, what is the difference, let's put it this way, what's the difference between Sharp Develop and the free designers that you can get from the Express SKUs? The Express SKUs, uh, we were discussing about this, miss all the uh, interesting process features like FX Cup, unit testing, etc., so it's nice for hobbyists. And with Sharp Develop and the features we have in there, we are alluding to the uh, well professional developer who wants to really do it right. Okay. So all the sort of the team system-esque features, you would say, are missing. Yes, going in that direction, yes. Now, you don't have, do, you, do you do the background compiler for VBNet? So um, we have our own parsers. I don't know exactly what you mean by background compilers. Okay, so in Visual Studio for VisualBasic.net, there's a compiler that happens in the background on a, on a background thread that uh, goes into effect when you just move off a line. Um, and, and it tells you, it gives you immediate feedback as to whether it's going to compile or not, you know, if you got a keyword wrong or something like that. Whereas with C-sharp, you uh, even even in C sharp two thousand five, I believe, uh, you still you still have to hit a build before you can get that uh, compiler feedback. No, we definitely don't do that. We only have our parsers running online, and so you see the nice squigglies when you got, got something wrong. Right after you but do it's a build, not as perfect, of course, as a background compile. Sure. Well, I mean, and it's. For C sharp, nobody's going to miss it. But I think if you're using Visual Basic, you know you might you might miss that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And uh, and and so you have quite a a number of features that the uh, Express SKU doesn't have. Are there features that the Express SKU does have that are not in? But you know, let's just take the Windows Forms C sharp uh, SKU. The Express Queue. Uh, the C Sharp Queue. We actually, uh, if you're on the website, you can check it out. We have a comparison between oh, really? the uh, released 2.1 version and the Visual Studio Express versions. Okay. So when you go to the feature tour, there is uh, at the end a compare Visual Studio Express and Sharp Develop. All link, right. And there is a list of what's supported uh, in Sharp Develop versus what's supported in Visual Studio Express edition. And you can check that out at shrinkster.com/ovo. And so, yes, I'm seeing that that is quite an extensible uh, comparison. Yeah. For example, we do not support C++. I see more yeses in the Sharp Develop uh, and no's in the Visual Studio than the other way around. Well, that's expressed. <laughs> yeah. And you left out J Sharp. <laughs> Isn't that dead already? <laughs> die! 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 <laughs> Yeah. Now, then here's an interesting thought. The whole plugin support. So you mean to tell me the plugins for Studio work in Sharp Develop? No, uh, that means uh, we are extensible and the Visual Studio Express editions ain't. Ah, so okay. Yeah. The plugins for Visual Studio Pro, etc., in the Express, but there is some kind of trick, uh, I think, how you can actually get it done. And Sharp Develop is itself built on a completely extensible system. So you can go and even... Uh, extend like the C-sharp backend binding or dialogues. We are built on an entirely flexible add-in system. So you can go and really plug in whatever you want to. 
So there are actually a couple of third parties that do provide plugins for Shop Develop. And that can be found in the wiki. I'm sorry, did you say ain't? <laughs> I've never heard a non-English speaking person say ain't before. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just threw me for a loop. He's cooler than I thought. Yeah. So you have the rename refactoring uh, in there. Yes. That's basically the only refactoring that's in there at the moment. So it's really a mini, mini refactoring feature. Right. That's on the plan for this summer. Now, to provide all the main refactorings. You're going to do that yourself or are you going to impl- in, in, you know, incorporate uh, ReSharper or something? No. We definitely do it on our own. Okay. We have our own parser implementation. So we do have our own DOM, uh, wow. document object model for the uh, source code files, so we can do the refactoring on our own. And actually, you can use all those things outside of Sharp Develop. Wow. Well, this is quite ambitious, this um, this this project. And, and it begs the question, how do you make your money? <laughs> That's a spare time project. So we don't have any developers that are paid by a company to, uh, to just work on this project. There's a fork of Sharp Develop that's built for Mono, Mono Develop, and those developers... Most of them are being paid by Novell to work on the project, and we don't have any paid developers working on Shop Develop. So that's a spare time project, and that's why I don't give definitive dates on release. I see. How many developers are are currently working on it? Uh, Depends on uh, the activity level, but there are kind of like 10 active contributors with like, I'd say, five or so of them being really active. Now, I got to tell you, your uh, ZipLib saved my butt quite a few times. Thank you very much. Before, I was using it in Visual Studio 2002 before, you know, it, it got in .NET Framework 2.0, of course. Not your implementation, but a Zip implementation. But I but I love it. Um, I thought it was great. I thought the examples were great, and I thought it was appropriate to use streams. Just everything about it was great. And apparently yeah, that was actually ported in one day. I was going to say that was a port from the Java uh, implementation, right? Yes, that's right. And we also give credit on the homepage for the project that it was ported originally from a Java library. And yeah. it was only ported the zip part. We now do support a couple of other compression formats too. Now I notice also you have a, a .NET USB library. Tell us about that. That one is kind of a dead project. Oh. It was started by Mike uh, because he uh, needed a USB support for one of his pet projects. And so he wrote that USB library. <laughs> it's no longer being maintained, but somebody else picked up and created a USB library that's working. It's also open source. Ah, okay. Do you know who who that is? If somebody comes looking uh, for you'd it? You'd have to check out our forums. There is a one forum dedicated to the USB library, and he just posted, like, I think yesterday or so, uh, the link to his library. Ah, I see it right here. Introducing libusb.net. Here's an yes, alternative exactly. solution. libusb.net. So you can Google that. Well, that's interesting. You guys are, are doing quite a lot of cool stuff. How many people use Sharp Develop? We don't have any kind of fixed numbers. Uh, we only have to download numbers from SourceForge. So we are hosting all our downloads on SourceForge for a couple of years now. So you can see the download numbers there. Downloads range from like slow weekends, like 400 downloads, to when we are releasing a new build to like 5,000 downloads a day. Wow. That's the range of downloads. Wow. But we don't know how many people are actually using it day-to-day. We don't have those numbers. Yeah, it's not an easy number to know. Just because you downloaded something doesn't mean you did anything else. Exactly. Well, I noticed that the screenshot uh, on the Sharp Develop um, page was done in Vista. Uh, So I guess it's safe to assume that this runs in Vista just fine. Yes, uh, 
it also ran on Windows XP without admin rights, fine for the past five years. Hey! So, <laughs> now there's a poke. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. So we always ran without admin rights uh, with Sharp Develop. So that's why it was rather easy to, well, you simply double-click it on Vista, and it works out of the box. And that's also why you're never going to have ASP.NET support. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, if we run our own web server, a small web server, we could do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess that's the fundamental issue with ASP.NET is there's a whole set of privileges you need to communicate to a web server successfully. If it's really like the IS7 on Vista, then yes, you need a couple of privileges, especially for the bindings of HTTP sys. But if you're running like a in-process server, like Visual Studio does, you don't need admin privileges. Okay. And and you're careful not to say that you need admin privileges to do that. You need some additional rights. Yes. So Especially it's... if you want to register an endpoint. But that's the same. The same is true for Windows Communication Foundation on Windows Vista. You can't register an endpoint unless you're an admin. It has to actually be admin. There's not just a specific privilege to uh, uh, to do that. No, I don't think that there is a specific privilege for that. You know, I think this is the one thing we keep running into around this rights-based model is that there is domain user and there is a full administrator and nothing in between. It's really hard to say, give him the right to make an endpoint, and that's all. Yeah, for it's mostly intended for deployment. For testing, you have to find a different way to do it. So that's, well, developers are the kind of people or the only kind of people on a Windows system, who are really used to work as admin. Right. I still have to meet a user or a developer who says he has been working as a simple user for the past two years. I still have to meet that person. You haven't haven't found anybody yet? Nobody, no. Now, and there's a debate here as to whether it's really necessary for developers to not be administrators. I know their users shouldn't be, but... Aren't Developers there things... shouldn't be either. You, you believe that. When you're a when you're an administrator as a developer, you make mistakes. You assume that it will also work as a user scenario later on because you're admin. That's why there is so many crappy software out there that assumes administrator rights for XP systems. Because the developers were using administrative rights while developing the software. So in you're your viewpoint really the, the developer must develop as a user in order to really make his application work correctly for a user. Yes. Okay. Easier said than done, of course, but an interesting point. <laughs> Let, now, we've clearly defined the fact that Sharp Develop hasn't got much in the way of ASP.NET support. In fact, no ASP.NET support. What are the kind of apps that we're really looking at building here? I guess they've got to be sort of traditional client-server-style apps. Yeah, right? so everything that's got to do, like libraries, Windows user interfaces, that kind of stuff. Right. That's what we are targeting. And I'm, and I'm, where I was driving at this was the data access components. Like how it works with ADO.net? Uh. Yes, it does. However, there is no database designer or server explorer yet in Sharp Develop. That's okay. coming with the next version in uh, 3.0, where we have a full database explorer in there. We did uh, have a great discussion in March when we were in Karlsruhe for our annual Sharp Develop uh, developer meeting, uh, where we talked about how we're going to integrate it, because with the upcoming 3.0 uh, release of the .NET framework, we also get Link and the entity frameworks, possibly. And so mm -hmm. we have to take care and plan for all these data tools to already support Link and all the other features that are coming. Right. I mean, yeah. it's a, I mean C-sharp 3.0, all of those language extensions are, are probably more important than the data explorer is going to be. Well, we need the data explorer. For example, if you do a Link query on a SQL data source, we need to kind of be able to find out the fields that are in the table or the tables that are in the database. Right. To really provide IntelliSense for the C-sharp part of the code completion. You know, you just mentioned IntelliSense. While you were talking, I downloaded and installed 
and ran uh, Sharp Develop in because uh, I was curious about the IntelliSense experience, you know, because it's very, very nice in Visual Studio. Hang on a second. I had a four-minute conversation with Christoph here, and in that time, you installed Sharp Develop. Yeah. I'm telling you, you couldn't do that with Studio. No, you couldn't. <laughs> it literally took me a minute, a minute and a half to install. And uh, and I'm running it now, and and it it's true the the IntelliSense is great. You you get the statement completion with a drop down list, and you pick what you want. And as you're going through the list, you get the little window that pops up and tells you you know the tooltip that you know what the overloads are and what the the interface is and all of that. Uh, it's 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 good. <laughs> it's you know good. what I'm thinking, Carl. How many times have we talked about different laptops? You know, I carry two different laptops. I've got the Dell M90, which is, you know, maintaining my tradition of buying the largest laptop known to man. Yeah. And it'll actually run Studio just fine. But I also have that little uh, motion computing tablet, which I would never dare to install Studio onto. Yeah, it's too big. That would be the end of the road for that machine. Sharp Develop just seems so much lighter. That seems. You know, you need that development environment just to noodle something together, to build a little dialogue, try a few things out, that kind of thing. It just sounds like this is the... I don't know that it would completely replace my use of Studio, but it could replace anywhere that I'm afraid to use Studio. And I have to admit that there are times when I'm afraid of Studio. Yeah, I, I agree, Richard, um, wholeheartedly. I'm looking at the Sharp Develop directory under uh, Program Files. And it's only 33 megs installed, ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine, of course, you have to have the framework installed. Duh. But there's no other requirements, apparently, right? Well, no really big requirements. So, for example, the way you installed it right now, uh, you won't have subversion support uh, for check-in, check-out. That's what on the do- what's on the download page. So we do not install FXCOP. For example, right. you right. have to download yourself. And that's because of the yourself. licensing, right? Yes. Yeah. And end covers another one. Yes. That's also one that we didn't incorporate. Well, let's talk about the licensing. Um, this is the, did it say LGPL? Yeah. What yeah. is that? Uh, that's the library GPL. Uh, we originally started out using the GPL. And the main reason why we used the GPL is we didn't want to see our source code end up uh, filleted to pieces in somebody else's commercial application. Sure. That's the main reason why we chose the GPL. There were no religious reasons for that yeah. one. And so that's why years later, we decided to switch to LGPL, which has one major difference to the GPL. It allows linking to the binary assemblies. So you can go out and take our uh, assembly for the source code editor and incorporate that in your application. So you can use our code editor. You can use our code completion. You can use our parsers inside your applications. But you still have to download and install Sharp Develop, right? No, you can really take our binaries and reference them in your project and use it. So when you pick the source download for Sharp Develop, you get a samples directory where you can see all those uh, things demonstrated like simply using the text editor, using code completion with the text editor, etc. Okay. Now, is this the library GPL or the lesser GPL? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, correctly, it should be the lesser. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, also called the library GPL because it was initially intended for libraries. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Developer Express. Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. We've certainly had conversations about GPL before and received a number of emails about our conversations around the GPL. And, and, it's, and we've made fun of the GPL, called it a virus. You know, that this is a thing that forces code into open source and, of course, been immediately pointed out to us that, no, as long as you stay away from direct linking, it's, it, you know, the, you keep the code separate. And I think this is what you've done with FX Cop and Ncover. You install the program separately and you're able to interoperate with them without violating licenses. 
well, we didn't want to deal actually with asking Microsoft to incorporate FXCOP in the setup. Right. So we simply said, mm. install it yourself, choose the version you want to use, because you maybe have uh, additional rule sets or whatever. We don't want to mess with installing this. Right. Let's use the reinstaller that's already out there, and the people like do some registry stuff, etc. We don't want to replicate this uh, information in our installers. We so don't it wasn't a licensing issue at all. It's just simplicity. That's simplicity and basically not dealing with having to ask the legal department at Microsoft, is this possible? How can we do it? So this is much simpler. Yeah, no kidding. I don't think I want to ask the legal department at Microsoft for anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I guess this, the fundamental difference here with the lesser GPL or the library GPL is dynamic linking is okay. That's absolutely okay. And that was our intention. So people can use the stuff we have built. Because originally the GPL is intended for tools, and then IDE is basically a tool. But we have so many things in there that can be reused and should be reused that we decided, okay, let's make it available to everybody, commercial developers as well as uh, open source developers. Can I ask you a question about the setup uh, projects? When you create a setup executable, is that setup going to require the .NET framework to be installed, or do you actually have a bootstrapper? Uh, we do require .NET installed. We are checking whether it's already on the box or not. And we point the user uh, to go and download the .NET framework. Oh, so you do have a bootstrapper. So the first thing that people run is native code that checks. Yes, uh, that's Windows Installer XML. We are using Microsoft's Windows Installer XML to build our setup. Well, this is the first time we've talked about Windows Installer XML on the show. Can you tell us about that? Well, we were using uh, uh, Nullsoft's install system previously for a couple of years. And then we decided, okay, we want to provide setup project support inside Sharp Develop. So if you go, uh, when you go into File New Project, you find the ability to actually go and create a setup project. And uh, if I recall correctly, on the Feature Tool page, Matt is re- referencing his guide on how do you build your own Windows Installer XML project inside Sharp Develop. So we decided, okay, let's build a feature set so we can package Sharp Develop using Windows Installer XML and actually build our own setup with Sharp Develop. So kind of the project system, the files, uh, where we have a file browser where we can pick the files that are in the project system to really incorporate it in the setup. So we have a fully functioning Windows Installer XML project system inside Shop Develop. So for the main purpose of really packaging Shop Develop. So I take it that the Windows Installer XML is is something that does the bootstrapping and gives you XML configuration yeah. around the around the install. Well, the Windows Installer XML is basically a toolset built by Microsoft to wrap MSI generation. I see. Okay. Oh, very good. One of the features in the here are some more features list is rehost sharp develop with SDA. What's what's that? Uh, that was introduced in the 2X line of products. It's uh, short for sharp develop for applications. And the main intention of this is so you can start shop develop inside the process of your own application. So kind of you're writing the next version of a word killer application and you need a macro editor or whatever else in your application. And instead of kind of taking all the bits and pieces of shop develop, you can really go and customize shop develop and then call into our uh, shop develop SDA assembly and bootstrap shop develop inside your process as a, a separate app domain. So you can kind of do all the cool customization, like uh, customize all the menus, customize all the toolbars, do store all the source code not on the file system, but inside, like uh, you're doing it in a Word file, in the new version, in a zip file. You can really do all the cool stuff you want with an IDE and have it uh, prepackaged by us. So it's analogous to VBA, then, I guess you could say. Uh, Visual Studio for applications would be good comparison. Yeah. Interesting. How come Microsoft couldn't figure that out? <laughs> well, they had, the answer is because they had too much legacy code, I think. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. For us, it was a small change, and we are using it in Sharp Develop Reports. So 
we ship Shop Develop to the SDR people, Shop Develop repos people, inside our team, and they take it and they have a bootstrap or an executable that simply starts it up like Shop Develop does. But they have their own menu system, they have their own designers, etc. You know, one of the things I've noticed with looking at, at Sharp Develops feature list and so forth is a really significant set of uh, tools around XML. Oh, yeah. We have one developer uh, that was Matt who was doing the XML editor, uh, and he spent a considerable amount of time on getting the feature set right in this area. So, I mean, not just a base. I mean, XML editor is great, especially with IntelliSense to help me completion and keep my rules right. But uh, detail support for XPath, uh, the ability to uh, to do document preview. Like, there's a lot of things here. For a guy who's doing a lot of work in XML, this sounds like a nice place to be. Um, yes, we decided we needed XML support because, well, configuration files, about everything in the .NET framework is using XML these days. And when you're dealing with larger amounts of XML, you need a decent editor and uh, preview features, intelligence, etc. So to really navigate a document efficiently and quickly. So that's why you get the editor, you get the tree view for editing, so you can change quickly the way you're working, actually. Are you looking at it in a source view? Are you looking at the tree so the way you want to work, that's what we try to provide inside the XML Schema support? experience. Uh, yes, there is. So uh, the IntelliSense is based on schema information, which you can configure in the tools options dialog. You can cool. go and tell the editor, hey, here is another XSD file, so please use it. And when you open a file which has the namespace defined in it, you will automatically get correct IntelliSense for this format. Uh, that's very addictive. Normally, you have to go out to a third-party product for that kind of capability. Uh, yes, we looked at a couple of third parties before we did our feature. <laughs> so what do you mean by XML document generation? Uh, that's when you look at uh, the code command, the triple slash in C-sharp. That's the code command. And we have the feature where you can say, okay, preview how the documentation will look like. So you usually only in C-sharp have the representation as a command. And you can say, tell me how it will look like in the help file. So we really create the preview of how it would be rendered in a help file. Cool. That's quite useful to not do the whole round trip. With We are currently using NDoc. That will be changed for uh, the next release. In 3, we are going to use Sandcastle in the next release because NDoc is no longer being maintained. Right. So that's a decision to switch to another tool set. But we are using NDoc in the current revision to really generate the help files. And I also see support for uh, uh, NANT uh, integrated um, in. Yes, that's true. In the 2.1 version, we still do have NANT support. In version 1, we actually had the ability to kind of move a shop develop project to an NANT project file and do all the build instead of the built-in build solution, use the NNT engine to build the entire project. So we do have uh, syntax highlighting, etc. for NNT, but this is dropped for the next version for three. But the next version won't be available like l much later this year. Why drop it? Because we are using MS Build internally for version two and upwards. Mm -hmm. Because that's the file format of Visual Studio 2. Right. Okay, so, I mean, in theory, if the, the NAMP folks move forward uh, and, and incorporate a 3.0 implementation, you could put it back in. Uh, it's very unlikely. <laughs> it already was dropped. Right. So we made mistakes in the past, so I was trading lightly here to say uh, it's unlikely that we add it, but there might be reasons it will come back. I get it. It's a very challenging thing to work with these other open source projects with all of their own issues, you know, and rates of development and so forth, and trying to decide what's in, what's out. Yeah, that happened to us once, because the NUnit project was basically dead in the water at some point, like one and a half, two years ago, uh, with no activity whatsoever. 
and we were thinking, okay, what are we going to do for the next release? Are we going to keep any unit, or are we moving to a different toolset? So for uh, like a couple of months or so, we had switched the entire tree to using MB unit. And when any unit uh, picked up again, we switched back. Hmm. That's a lot of recoding. Yeah. Not fun. Yes, that's true. Hey, Christoph, can you tell us a little bit about the mono implementation? How easy is that to set up, and, and what are what features do you get? Uh, are you talking about the mono support in Shrub Develop? Yes. Or mono Develop IDE? Okay, there's another IDE? Yes, uh, mono Develop is an IDE that was forked from Shrub Develop. <sighs> Don't quote me on the exact version number, but somewhere around version 0.9. Wow. And they ported it to Mono. And uh, that's, well, they took parts of our source code, wrote their own designers. For example, on Mono and on Linux, you don't use Windows Forms usually. So they have GTK Sharp right. for the UI and uh, all different kinds of things you need on a Mono. For example, you can't use the debugger the Windows debugger, because that's a beast with COM interfaces uh, on Linux. So they have their own debugger there. They have their own implementation of X XCOP, that's Gendarme there. So all the different tools, and they have adapted the source code base to run on Mono. Now, Mono Develop is not your project. I don't see that anywhere on icsharpcode.com. No, that's a separate project. That's monodevelop.com. That's a project being maintained and paid for by Novell. By Novell. Okay, so let's talk about Sharp Develop then, in terms of mono support. Yeah, so we have support for calling the mono compilers for C Sharp and VB.net. So there is a simple switch in the project options where you can say, hey, don't use the Microsoft compilers, please use the mono compilers. That's basically all you have to do. That's hmm. switching the framework. And when you're switching the framework, we're also switching the underlying global assembly cache and loading the mono assemblies and providing code completion for the mono assemblies. And it's as you, simple as that. Uh, can you compile Windows Forms? Yes. Uh, if you have the very, very latest version of mono, you're mostly good to go. Because the uh, Windows huh. Forms implementation of mono is getting close to be usable for advanced Windows Forms applications. So when you're building in the IDE, you're still using a .NET program, but when you compile and you're done, you're using a mono program. When you when well, you run the executable, the, mo the mono programs are using, um, and I might be talking rubbish here. I think they're using the PE format too for the huh. executable, and uh, they are able to run Windows .NET executables on mono if they're equivalent of the functionality in the Mono Framework implementation of .NET. Interesting. It's just a question of whether it's in the Mono library or not. Yes, exactly. Right. Have, have you done any work with Mono lately? Do you know the state of it? I'm monitoring the Mono Develop mailing list, and one of, uh, well, the founder of Sharp Develop is now working for Novell. So I have some information on what's going on in this area, I only loosely monitor uh, Mono itself because I'm not using Linux on my machines. Yeah. So I tried it with a virtual PC at one point or the other, but I don't do active development on it. We're trying to get Miguel's attention again. You know, we saw him in Barcelona and we, he said, yeah, yeah, we got to be on the show again. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he must be very busy these days. Yeah, very. Yeah, he's very distracted. No two ways about <laughs> Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we're coming down to the end of a show here. Is there any uh, last-minute things you want to say, shout-outs or, or uh, things to mention? Well, uh, a couple of things on the future. So in June, we will do a service release for the 2.0 branch. It will be 2.2, which has a couple of improvements all across the board, mostly bug fixes and uh, better improvements for code completion. And there is a version 3.0, which is already in alpha stage. So you can actually download it from our build server, which is publicly accessible. And uh, there you can take a look at the very first incarnations of the WPF designer, the workflow designer, and also the class designer we are working on. So that's what's coming sometime. Well, I think the end of summer, we will have something that resembles a beta version. So people oh. can take a look at it. 
That's excellent. Well, I'm sure you've piqued a lot of people's interest now. So go out there and get it and start writing code. Thanks a lot, uh, Christoph. Christoph Villa has been our guest. Uh, he's the PM of the Sharp Develop Project. And if you haven't checked it out, it's time to do so. Thanks, Christoph. It's been a pleasure. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.